so we're starting a new series. Um, it's called More. And the idea behind the series is, is, is this, that there, there's something there. There's something that we find deep inside of us. There's something as we go through life, as we go through what we're supposed to, as, we're, as we do the things that we feel like we're supposed to do, go after school, go after a career, whatever it may be, there's, there's always that nagging. There's always that feeling deep inside of us that says there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more than what I'm going after. There's got to be something more than, than what I'm doing with my life. It's that, that urging that God has something better. And so we're going to be talking about that, but I just kind of want to start it off with a little bit of my story. I, I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, and I grew up, and when I was a little kid, you would ask me what I wanted to be. I wanted to be two things. Uh, I wanted to be a pastor and professional basketball player. Um, I didn't realize that because of my vertical, only one of those was possible, but uh, it definitely was the pastor, and I wanted to be both of those things. My dad was a pastor. He played college basketball. I figured that's what I was going to be when I was a kid, and then as I grew older, I became like many of you, and you guys will understand me in this. I became the opposite of what everybody wanted me to be. If somebody told me I was going to be something, I didn't automatically want to be it. Somebody told me I wanted to date someone, I automatically didn't want to date them just because they said it. Some of you guys fully understand that. Some of you are in here, you go, why would you do that? Why would you do the opposite? Just because that's the, my personality. And so when I went off to college, I'm like, I'm not going to become a pastor because my dad's a pastor and everybody said I was going to be a pastor. So I don't want to be a pastor. I'm going to go to UF and uh, I'm going to go into the medical field and I'm going to make lots of money and I'm going to have a hot wife and we're going to have a family and then I'm going to do stuff at school. Like, I mean, at, at church and we'll serve in some way and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember going my first year and, and I love the sciences. I love the research behind that. So I remember going into that and going into the pre-med side of things and doing well my first year of school, but feeling like there was something missing, feeling like everything that I was going after was just kind of like, because. Now it, it was a great thing to use because when girls ask you what you're going into, you could say pre-med and they're like, oh, I'll give you another second of my time. Which changed when I said I was going to be a pastor. They're like, oh, that's nice. You go and serve and find your wife that wants to live on nothing. So, uh, <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. Um, so I remember going through that first year and going through college. And then that summer, I had, I had two things going on. I was working at a place called Roadway, which was a trucking company. And it was down in Miami. And it was 160 bays. It was massive. 18 wheelers backing up. And you would move stuff to and from each of the 18 wheelers. I was doing that. And then also, we had a friend that had asked me to be a part of a youth program and be an intern for them, help them do camp, help them do these things. And I said, OK, I'll do that. And so I remember doing that and really enjoying it and then working at Roadway. And here's what I did at Roadway. I worked nights from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. It was awful. But I remember going that first time and I remember showing up and we get there and everybody looks around and I look, I was the only white person on the entire dock. So I definitely stuck out right, right away. And I remember I would walk on the dock and the, the dock manager would be like, here comes Eminem literally over the microphone and everybody would be like, hey, what's up, Hal? They'd automatically know who I was. And it was just an interesting thing, but I remember going the first night, it's a lot of forklifts, all that, so you're moving pallets everywhere. And I didn't understand that there was like a seniority deal, and so I immediately left the meeting, got on a, a truck, and some guy came up to me and said, come here. And I said, what's up? He goes, get off. And so I had to get off the truck, and then I got another one, I had to get off, and then I went over and I got the pallet jack that actually had a motor to it, and then some other guy that was like two years older than me came over and said, that's mine. So I finally got the last pallet jack, and so my job was literally, I would go, I would jack up a pallet, and walk. It's 160 bays, so it was literally probably like an eighth of a mile to one end to the other end of the place, and I would walk back and forth. This, this was before, gosh, I feel so old right now saying this, but this was before iPods and all that, so I did it without music. And so I'm going up and down, and so I had all of this time to think. And I remember sitting there thinking, 
going through my year, going through what had happened, and I spent, it, it got to the part, and th- this is kind of bad to say, you expect me to be a little bit more spiritual, but I think I got to the part where I was so bored that I started to pray. And that sounds weird, but that's what happened. I started to pray. I started to think about what was going on. I felt this overwhelming idea that I was supposed to go into ministry. Then on top of it, the internship that I was at, there's people coming around me going, how, are you sure this isn't what you're supposed to do? I mean, I know the medical field has a lot of money, but you know, you can follow God and do what God wants you to do. And I remember going, this is not what I want to do, but it was confirmed over it because there's this thing inside of me that said, this is what's more. This is where you should go. And what's interesting is people go, well, that's exactly, it happened perfectly that, like that. And I'm like, no, it didn't happen perfectly. It wasn't the perfect summer. Actually, my car almost blew up on the side of I-75 going down to work. And back then there was no cell phones, so I stayed on the side. Guess what? 11 o'clock at night, not many people go up and down. And so I was there for two hours one night. Uh, I got the biggest speeding ticket of my life. I got a 95 and a 65. The cop almost took my car. I was actually going 105 and a 65. Uh, I actually got so sleep deprived because I was working nights and days that I got sick for an entire two weeks. It was a horrible period of time. And then on top of it, I was not a great intern. I remember the first message that I was going to do. People were like, oh, I bet your first message was great. It's supposed to go 25 minutes. I went six. <laughs> six minutes. I didn't realize I had gone six minutes. I got done with my message. I went and sat down. The youth pastor got up and t- did a whole other message. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world, man? You didn't think it was good enough? He goes, how? You went six minutes. It's like, no. He goes, yeah, you went six minutes and it was crap. And I'm like, wait, what? And here's what I didn't know. He was being sarcastic. I used the word crap 25 times in my message, which is not easy to do. I don't know how you use the word crap 25 times in a message about God, but apparently I did it. In a six minute message, that's like what? Like once every 20 seconds, I use the word crap. And it was just one of those things. He goes, yeah, we need to figure out what you're doing there. On top of that, I also decided, hey, I'm going to take some of the seniors to a movie I shouldn't have. We went and saw uh, the movie called Road Trip. Um, And Road Trip is one of those, this is too old for you guys, but it's one of those like sex teenage comedy things where, uh, yeah, where uh, some guy apparently made a sex tape and accidentally sent it to his girlfriend, and so he has to go with his friends on a road trip across the nation and go get it, and it's a great movie about Jesus, not at all, and uh, there's a bunch of nudity, and guess who I brought with me? The music pastor's son, and so it was great. We're sitting in there, and I'm putting my hands over his eyes, and he's like, are you allowed to watch? And I'm like, it's okay. The Holy Spirit is covering mine, and so we're just kind of sitting there doing that. I remember going in the next day, and the youth pastor's like, so what'd you go see? And I was like, road trip. And then the intern, the other intern that was there that was way holier than me, he goes, oh, is that the one about the missionaries that go to Uganda? And I'm like, no, probably not. <laughs> but it was one of those things, it was, it's, it's God came together. There's people that said, hey, I know you're not doing everything right, but these kids over here listen to everything that you say. Uh, I know you're, you, you get a six-minute message but there's something about your life that speaks to them. There's something that's going on. I feel like God's calling you to this. And I remember going, it was only at that point that my soul like felt rest was the moment that I realized and gave in to the idea that I was going to go into ministry. St. Augustine says it like this, says, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. See, I believe this, all of us have a calling all of us have something on our lives that God's called us to do. God, God, God wants something more, like this noble purpose for your life. There is a calling, and it's, it, basically what God wants to do is he wants to take every fabric, every part of your life, and, and bring it together to make something more. And let me just say this. Some of you are sitting there going, well, does that mean I have to go into ministry? No. Ministry is not the only calling. In fact, some of the most holy people I know are not in full-time ministry. And, and truthfully, you don't have to be in full-time ministry to actually see life as a full-time ministry. 
There's many callings, and you don't have to be a part of the, you know, work for the church in order to do that, but God is calling everyone in here to something. And until you see it, until you understand it, there'll be something inside of you, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's something inside of you that makes you go, there's something more. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, this is Paul. He's talking about, he had just referenced in the recent chapter, all these spiritual people that have come before, all the people, the big time guys, the prophets, all of them that have come before. He goes, they are surrounding us to the life of faith. Because of what they've already done and we know what's possible, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's, beside God's throne. And here, here's what I want you guys to understand. We are gonna be very much looking into you into your life. And what happens many times is this, is sometimes we go, I need to figure out who I am. And the problem is we find us. And the answer to life is not finding you, it's finding God. And so I want you to understand in this series, we're finding out who you are and how God has prepared you, but it's through the lens of God. It's through the lens of his purpose. It's through the lens that we know what Jesus did. And because of what Jesus did, we have this possibility. So before you find yourself, you first have to find Christ and then look to Christ and say, what have you done in my life? What have I ha- has happened in my life that you can use? And through that, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to dare to dream that God has a purpose. And I say dare to dream because we don't want to dream many times. We don't. In fact, we're a little bit scared of dreaming. We're a little bit scared of actually thinking God has something big for our lives because we're afraid of what it may be. But God says we've got to move forward. We've got to do this quickly. And Acts 2, 16 and 17 says this. It says, no what, no, what you predicted long ago by the prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I believe this. God has a vision and a dream for each of your life. It's not going to be like an angel coming to you at night. Although if it does happen, please tell me about it. That'd be incredible. It's not going to be God talking, but God's going to give you a vision. All of a sudden, you're going to see these things. It's going to make sense. This is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. There was a guy in the Bible I want to talk about that's probably going to scare a little bit, you a little bit of dreaming, but it's somebody that makes so much sense. This is Joseph. See, Joseph was the youngest in his family, the youngest boy. He had 11 brothers. 11 brothers, but Joseph, for some reason, is his dad's favorite, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, nowadays, we understand it. If you're the youngest in a family, you're usually like the most. You're usually given the most. You don't believe that, but all the older brothers and sisters understand it, right? Everybody that's older is like, oh, yeah. All the younger people are like, I got the same thing. I don't know what you're talking about. No, you're you're usually your benefit, but back then, that wasn't a normal thing because the oldest got everything. When If you were the oldest son, you got everything. If you're the second oldest son, you got nothing, And so what you would do is you would make sure that oldest son knew how to run the business, knew how to do everything. You spent all the time with him, but Joseph was loved so much by his dad and almost pampered by his dad in not a great way. And to the point where they actually say in the Bible, he got this coat of many colors. And we, we hear that. We're like, coat of many colors, what's the big deal? Well, back then, you, dyes were not something that was normal. And so most of what you wore was brown or gray, whatever the color of uh, the, the fabric that you had. But he had a coat of many colors, which meant his dad spent a whole lot of money on him and not on his brothers and sisters. And so he goes out, and I'm sure, the youngest, you don't understand that you're the youngest, you don't understand what you're doing, he probably just goes out and goes, look what dad gave me, he loves me so much, and all the other kids are going, I hate you. And he's doing that, because he's immature. 
At this time, he's probably about 16 or 17 years old. He's walking out, he's showing off, and on top of it, God does give him a vision. For some reason, he decides to gloat with that vision over his brothers. See, God gave him a vision of 11, 11 uh, wheat, uh, stacks of wheat bowing down to him. And he goes, hey guys, 11 stacks of wheat bow down to me. I believe that means you're all going to bow down to me. Imagine hearing that from your younger brother and sister. And then another one, the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed down to him. And he goes, guess what that means? That means all of you and mom and dad are going to bow down to me. The brothers were, were done. The brothers were through. They're like, this is not what we want. This kid is a jerk. We don't want him around to the point where, you know, it's one thing to get mad at your brother and sister. They're like, we're going to kill him. And one day they do go to kill him, but one brother goes, hey, why would we kill him? We can make money off of him. And so they sell him to some people. And I remember thinking 20 pieces of silver, that sounds like a lot. I looked up how much it was. It's about 200 bucks. They sold him for an Xbox is basically what happened. They sell Joseph into slavery. They hate him that much that they sell him into slavery. You got to think for a moment. Joseph goes, wait, I had these visions. I had these things. I had these dreams. What is going on? He goes to this place called Potiphar's house. Potiphar is ahead of the guard of the Pharaoh, and he is at his house. He does everything so well, Potiphar puts him in charge of the entire house. Things are going well. He's thinking, okay, things are going well for me. Things are going right. Then all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife hits on him. She hits on him not once, but twice. I, I can imagine Joseph going, well, I run the entire house. I may as well do whatever. You know, he, there's so many things going through. He's not married. He had, you know, and he's going, oh, I might as well do this. Well, he runs away from her. She pulls off his cloak, and she's so mad that he, he scorned her. He left her. You can imagine that she's ticked off that he turned her down. She goes to Potiphar and says, he tried to rape me and look at my, look at this coat. See, here's what's interesting is at this point, Joseph probably should have been killed. Probably should have been killed, but he was so revered by Potiphar, and I guess Potiphar probably thought there was something there, but to appease his wife, he sends them to jail. He's in a jail, I say jail, a dungeon. He's in a dungeon. He does so well at being a prisoner. This is one of those things where you, you've ever heard a pastor say, like, do as good as you can wherever you're at. This is Joseph. Like, he's in a prison, and he's like the best prisoner. I don't know how you do that, but he's the best prisoner to the point, to the point where the warden puts him ahead of all the other prisoners. Like, how does that happen? Hey, um, you, you run the whole place, okay? Is that good? I'm going to go away. He puts them ahead of all the prisoners. And while he's there, there's two guys that show up. It's the baker and the cupbearer for the Pharaoh. Now, the baker, you can understand what that is. He's a baker. The cupbearer is a horrible job. The cupbearer was this. You made a lot of money, but your job was to taste the wine before the Pharaoh drank it to see if it was poisoned. So it's like a really great time until you die. And so it, it, this is the situation. They both have dreams and they come to Joseph and they say, these are the dreams that happen. Can you tell us what's going on? And Joseph doesn't hold punches because not their, their dreams aren't awesome. He goes, basically, both of you guys are going to be taken up, uh, back up into the Pharaoh's court. One of you is going to stay. The other one's going to be impaled. It's like, wow, that, thanks a lot, Joseph. You could have said that a lot nicer. And that's exactly what happened. The baker goes up, the cupbearer goes up, the baker gets impaled, the cupbearer stays, but he forgets about Joseph. I can imagine this point, Joseph's going, dude, I... I I told you what your dream was going to be. It happened. Why haven't you talked about me? Well, one day Pharaoh has a dream. He doesn't know what it is. And finally the cupbearer says, hey, there's a guy down in the jail. This is crazy. He's running the jail and he's in jail. Yeah, I think you should talk to him. Joseph comes up. He talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, this is my dream. Joseph said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of plenty. You need to store as much grain as possible. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. If you don't store grain during that time, you won't have enough for the famine. Pharaoh goes, wow, you're incredibly smart. You're my second in command. It's incredible out of nowhere. He spends 13 years 
in slavery and in a dungeon. From the moment his brothers sold him into slavery, he spends 13 years in the bottom, 13 years in the pain. He ends up at the top at 30. He goes through the seven years of plenty, stores tons of grain, takes everything in. Two years into it, he's 39. His brothers come to see him. Last time they saw him, he was 17. Last time they saw him, he was 17. He shows up at 39. They walk in the door. He actually plays with them a little bit, which is kind of funny because I, I feel like I can understand Joseph a little bit more because if, if, if they just would have walked in, he goes, I forgive you, my brothers. I would have been like, oh, he's just one of those really godly people. He played with them just a little bit, not ungodly amount, but he just played with them a little bit just to see if they, because they, did, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know him. They haven't seen him. And then he finally, he reveals who he is. And he goes, guys, I'm not going to hurt you. And he says this. This is just, this is one of those verses that's like, I don't know how you get to this place, but in Genesis 50, 20, he says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good. Not that God caused it to happen, but God knew what was going to happen. And so he looked at it and said, I'm going to make this work for good, even though you intended it for harm. Here's what's crazy in what God can do. God can cause the randomness to make sense. He can take our skills, our passions, and incredibly, he can take our pain and put them into a plan and an understanding. Imagine if we could get to this point. Imagine if you could get to a point where you look at the person that hurt you and you go, you know what? I know you hurt you. I, I know you've done so much to me and you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What if you could look at the person in your life, the parents that left you, the people that abandoned you, the person that hurt you and go, you intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. What if you look at it in Satan's face and go, you intended to hurt me. You intended for me to compare myself and hurt myself and look at myself in the wrong way. Look in the mirror and see somebody that's not good enough. You intended it for harm, but God said, I'm going to take all of these things and I'm going to make it good. See, that's what happened with Joseph. That's what can happen with us. And some of you go, well, that's a nice story. What does it happen now? And I don't want to share all of her story, but with my wife, it happened. Some of you guys know with the last series that we did, Growing up, and I'm not going to share all of it, she went through a lot of pain. She was sexually abused as a child. She was raped as a teenager and didn't tell anyone until our fifth year of marriage. She lets it out. She's honest, in it. and through that, God has freed her to do incredible things. On top of that, what's crazy to me is this, is if you guys didn't hear it, the last time we did the relationship series, we did the baggage part, and Chrissy shared her story and talked about these things, and because she was willing to share her story, we had over 20 girls come forward and say, you were willing to share your story. I want to talk about this. I want counseling, and we've set them up because she was willing to do that. Guys, the freedom, the possibility that happens when we are willing to do this. Here's the problem, though. God is sitting there going, hey, let's go. Let's go. You're sitting in prison. I want you to be a part of this. You're sitting in prison. I want you to have, be free. You're sitting in prison. I want to use you. But some of us have decorated the wall so well in our prison, we don't understand that we're not free. Some of us have gotten so used to what's around us and the comfort level of just sitting there and not doing anything that we don't realize we're not free and we're perfectly okay with it. Some of us have filled our lives with things that just don't matter, but are comfortable. We just decide this is as good as it gets. I heard a pastor say this, and I think it's incredibly good. He says, my biggest fear isn't that we'd fail in life, but that we'd succeed in things that don't matter. See, I don't think it's one of those things whether or not we do good things. I think it's, we tend to succeed in things that don't matter, so we continue to do them. 
See, we have threads in our lives that we don't understand. We have parts of our lives that we don't get, that we don't want people to see. What's crazy is God's got a plan for those. But we've got to decide to give those parts up to God. John 12, 25 says this, says those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care for nothing for their life in this world will keep it for our eternity. See, that's what we have to do, though. We have to surrender. Before there's vision, before there's real dreaming, there's surrender. Before we can take that next step, there's surrender. And here, here's why we don't like the word surrender, because we're afraid if we're going to surrender, God's going to send us to Africa. Right? We're afraid. We're like, hey, God, tell me what to do, but don't tell me to do that. And here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Many times the reason we don't see dreams, we don't see something big, we don't see what God wants to do, is because we haven't surrendered. There's still boundaries. There's still things. We're going, God, I will do anything, but it needs to include this. God, I will do anything, but it needs to include them. And we've decided that people and things, we've allowed them to be in the way of God. It's kind of like this. There's a story of the rich man in the Bible. He comes up to Jesus, and he goes, how do I, how do I inherit an eternity? How do I get in the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, do you follow the Ten Commandments? And he goes, yes, I do all of them. He goes, well, the next thing you have to do is sell everything you own and give it to the poor. He says, in that moment, the rich man walked away just sad because he knew he couldn't do it. See, we think of that as, oh, that means God hates money. No, no, no. God doesn't. And in fact, there's a lot of people that have money that love God very much. See, what Jesus saw was he looked into that man's heart and he saw that money was the barrier to what God was going to call him to. See, here's what money can do. Money can give you comfort. Money can give you a semblance of something important. And he knew that man wouldn't be able to get past the idea of giving that up to follow him. Dreaming has to be able to look past borders. Dreaming has to be able to look past the things that are in front of us. Dreaming doesn't see the idea of failure or issues or problems. See, we've got to be able to do that. And the problem is maturity. The older we get, the less we dream. The older we get, the more we think is not possible. And we don't allow ourselves to dream and believe that Jesus can do more, that God can do more. Luke 6.30 says this. This is the idea of what the mundane is, the everyday. It says, give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. See, until you know what God's calling you to do, give, serve. I see a lot of people go, I don't know exactly what God wants me to do. Cool, serve. Do something. The things that we do every day, they may seem mundane, they may seem coincidental, they may seem like they're not that big of a deal, but that's where character is built. That's where who we are is built. You guys heard me talk about last week to pray for me because during the beautiful conference, I may have four kids and it turned out I didn't have all four kids, I just had two. I had our, our, our two foster kiddos and my, my son went to my mom. And so 15 months, four months, and I'm thinking, I've got this. I'm Hal Mare. I'm the greatest dad that's ever walked this earth. You know, it, it's, it's the things I do to pump myself up. And so I'm in there and I'm thinking, this is going to be perfectly fine until I look over and the four-month-old I think he just decided tonight was the night he was going to mess with my head. And I look over, and he literally, as I look over, I see him throw up like half his bottle. Here's the problem. It wasn't a bottle that I just fed to him. It was a bottle from about an hour and a half ago, so he had time to chunk up. And it gross, and it goes everywhere, like everywhere. And he does it, and he just does it, and he just doesn't care. He just throws it up. He's like, your, your turn. Your move. I'm like, dang it, man. This is, and it's nasty smelling. It is awful. I'm like, man, I've got to clean up. And I got I to, immediately I take this, all the clothes off, all the stuff, throw it in the washer. I'm like, he smells. I'm like, oh, I got to give him a bath. So I fill up the sink because that's where you give babies a bath. It's not because I was being lazy. And I, I fill up the sink and I start to wash him. As I start to wash him, he literally has diarrhea in the entire thing. And I'm like, 
bro, come on. Come on, and he does. He looks at me again, he's like, your move. Your move. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is up with you, man? And so I literally have to drain, the, I'm literally holding him with like one hand up, draining the sink. It's like, you can't just put him down. He's all slippery too. And I'm like doing that. And I get him out and I get out the stuff and I'm like sanitizing it. And he's crying right there. And I'm like sanitizing it and filling it out. And then I look over at his brother, who's usually doing fine. And he looks at me, he goes, Bleh, and throws up all over the floor. And he's like, sup? You forgot about me. Don't forget about me. I want to be remembered too. So I finished cleaning him up. I'm like, you? We'll figure it out later. <laughs> Clean up, do it. You know, I'm sitting there, I'm going, what in the world? Like, why? What's the point of all that? Like, what, what's the point of sitting there and cleaning this up and doing these things? You guys know we foster, and i got to be honest with you, there's sometimes, there's some points where you go, what's the point of all this? But there's character being built at the same time. You know what? For them to grow up, for them to become what they need to be, they need somebody to be okay with the mundane. They need somebody to change their diaper. They need somebody to feed them. They need somebody to care for them and love them and hug them so that they grow up and they have a chance to live God's life. See, you're a part of a story that will go on forever. We tend to sit on the sidelines, and we sit on the sidelines, numb, bored, passionless, thinking God's already got this covered, or I'm not a part of it, and we distract ourselves with the mundane, but the truth is, we've got to see that we have this incredible, beautiful, creative God that has a plan for us, that knows everything. Because he knows everything, because he knows every part of us, every thread of us, he has something special for us. And what we can do is when we dream about the threads of our lives, we can actually see the bigger story that he wants us to be a part of. See, God wants to redeem the everyday. God wants to redeem the mundane and make it eternal. There are no coincidences to God. There's only things that he's going to use. And the reason we've got to move forward, the reason we can't just sit there and go, okay, how next time you talk about this, I'll take a step forward, is because the end is coming. I know that sounds weird to say, but here's the idea. We only have so much time on this earth, and God wants to use every second of it. And Hebrews 10, 37 and 39 says this, for in a just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. He's talking about Jesus. He says, my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Because I'm telling you, the only thing that will calm our souls is actually understanding what God calls us to. Tim Keller used the illustration. He goes, really our lives are who we are, what we've done, what we're passionate about, what we're good at. They're all raw materials. It's like taking glass and wood and concrete and folding them and putting them together into something incredible, making a house, making something much, much better. And let me just say this, guys. You will regret the things that you didn't do much more than the things you failed at. Guys, wouldn't it be incredible if the thing that you loved actually collided and made sense with what God wanted you to do? I mean, what if the most painful moment of your life was what God wanted to birth a passion out of? What if the randomness of life became incredibly intentional and didn't feel accidental? What if everything felt important? What if God became bigger than what we thought he was, bigger than our comparisons and our adequacies, and we actually looked to him for what's next. Guys, this week, I'm not calling you to, to really look deep. We're going to be doing that in some other weeks. This week is really one of those weeks where I'm like, dare to think 
Dare to dream. Dare to have that vision. Dare to ask God. Literally go, God, if you could do anything with me, what would you do? Without the boundaries, without the things that we put in the place, what would you call me to do? And dream with us as we go through this series. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you just allow us to be a part of this. We're not just bystanders. We're not, we're not just living a life, God. We get to be a part of what you called us to. God, I pray that we see that, we understand that. God, I pray this week that we don't allow the mundane, we don't allow the ease, we don't allow the things that we, we just get caught up in to, to keep our attention. God, I pray that we sit and we dream and we have the, the vision of what is possible. God, that we can look at our pain and our circumstances and go, yes, that does not define me. You are the only one that does. And what would happen if you could use that to do more? God, I pray that we'd see ourselves the way you see us. God, I pray that we just see you for who you truly are, how big you are, how strong you are, how smart you are, how you have this entire thing in the palm of your hand. God, we love you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.